The Bracelet by Alfred Sutro. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Five Little Plays by Alfred Sutro. The Bracelet. The Persons of the Play. Harvey Western, read by Bruce Peary. Judge Bankett, read by Bob Neufeld. Martin, read by Algie Pug. William, read by M.B. Mrs. Bankett, read by Capricia Page. Mrs. Western, read by Libby Gone. Miss Farron, read by Amanda Friday. Smithers and Narrator, read by Elizabeth Clatt. The dining room in an upper middle class house near the park. It is furnished in the conventional modern style, soberly and without imagination. The room is on the ground floor facing the street, the doors to the right and leads into the hall. To the left of this door is a sideboard, glittering with silver. Three tall windows at the back, heavy curtained, between them hang two or three family portraits. The table on which there is the usual debris of a meal that is over coffee-cups, liqueur-glasses, etc., has been laid for four persons, and their four chairs are still around it. The fireplace, with its rather crude and ambitious mantelpiece, is in the centre of the left wall, and uncomfortable-looking heavy armchairs are on each side of it. On the mantelpiece are a large marble clock and a few bits of china. In the angle formed at the left side is a small Queen Anne writing-table, open. To the right of the room is a large sofa. The floor is heavily carpeted, and there are many rugs scattered about. When the curtain rises, the room is in darkness. William, the footman, enters hurriedly and switches on the electric light. He rushes to the table, looks eagerly around, shifting cups and glasses, napkins, etc., then goes on his hands and knees and searches on the carpet. After a moment, Smithers, the lady's maid, follows him. "'Can't you find it?' "'No, not yet. Give me time.' smithers feeling along the tablecloth under one of those rugs perhaps well i'm looking motor horn sounds sharply off all right all right smithers with a jerk of the head missus is telling him to do it william on all fours crawling about very like her voice too when she's angry <sighs> drat the thing where can it be he peers into the coal scuttle no good looking in there stupid they always say it's the unlikeliest places. Martin, the butler, comes in. Come, come, haven't you found it? No, Mr. Martin, it ain't here. Martin, bustling about. Must be, must be, she says. Well, I can't help what she says, it ain't. Martin, looking under the sofa. Look, you hustle, young man, and don't give me any back answers. Having completed his examination of the sofa, he moves to the sideboard and fusses round that. Smithers methodically shaking out each napkin. I tell you, she's cross. Martin, hard at work, searching. Doesn't mind disturbing us in the midst of our supper. William, who all the time has been on all fours, searching. We're dirt, that's what we are. Dirt. William, I've told you before. Very sorry, Mr. Martin, but this is the first time I've accepted an engagement at a stockbroker's. He has been crawling round the curtains at the back, shaking them. Pulling hard at one of them, he dislodges the lower part. Law, now I've done it! Clumsy! That comes of too much talk. Never mind the curtain. 
Go on looking. William drops into his hands and knees again. Harvey Western comes into the room, perturbed and restless. He is a well-preserved man of fifty. I say, not found it? Not yet, sir. Nuisance. Must be here, you know. Is it a very valuable one, sir? Harvey, who has gone to the table and is turning things over. No, no, not particularly, but that's not the point. He looks under the table. Martin, still seeking. When did Madame find that she'd lost it, sir? Oh, about five minutes after we'd started. And we've turned over everything in the car. It's certainly not there. He fusses around the table. Is Madame quite sure she was wearing it, sir? Yes, yes, of course she was wearing it. I put it on her myself. Where did Madame put her cloak on, sir? In here. I brought it in. You didn't notice whether... No. Don't you think if we moved all the rugs? She moves across the room and joins William, who is still groveling on the floor, and goes on her knees by his side. It must be here somewhere. They are all searching furiously, William by the windows, peering into the spaces between the wall and the carpets, Martin at the sideboard, Smithers gathering the rugs together, all on their hands and knees, while Harvey, bent double, is looking under the table. Mrs. Western comes in stonily, followed by the judge and Mrs. Bankett. Mrs. Western is a handsome woman of forty-five, with a rather stern, cold face. The judge, a somewhat corpulent, genial man of fifty-five, and his wife, an amiable nullity, seven or eight years younger. They are all in evening dress, the ladies in opera cloaks. Mrs. Western, pausing on the threshold. Well, Harvey, rising and dusting himself. No trace of it. Mrs. Western, looking around. A nice mess you've made of the room. You told us to look, madam. Judge, going to the fire and standing with his back to it. I'm afraid we'll be shockingly late, Alice. I don't go without my bracelet. She goes to the table and proceeds to shift the cups and glasses. Mrs. Bankett, moving to the other side of the table and doing the same. Quite right, dear. I wouldn't. They all search except the judge, who shrugs his shoulders placidly, then takes a cigarette from his case and lights it. The three servants are still groveling on the floor. I know I had it while I was drinking my coffee. My experience is one should never look for things. They find themselves. Nonsense. A fact. Or, at least, one should pretend to be looking for something else. My glasses, now. When I lose them, I declare loudly I can't find my cigar case. That disheartens the glasses. They return at once. Don't be so irritating, Tom. That's all very well, but how about me? I was asked here to dine. I've dined. I'm not complaining about the dinner. But now the curtain's up, and here am I, watching half a dozen people, looking very hard for a thing that isn't there. Tom, Tom, it's those laughs you get in court that make you so fond of talking. Don't you see how you're vexing your sister? Oh, I'm used to Tom. Harvey, I think you might be looking. My dear, I've been turning round and round in this corner like a bird in a cage. Martin, who all this time, like the other servants, has been crawling about the different articles of furniture in the room, suddenly rises to his feet and addresses his mistress firmly but respectfully. It's not here, madam. The other servants also rise and stand, each in their corner. That, I imagine, is perfectly clear. 
and I congratulate the witness on the manner in which he has given his evidence. He throws his cigarette into the fire and steps forward. Now, my dear Alice. Mrs. Western, sitting doggedly in the chair in front of the table, and proceeding to pull off her gloves. I don't go without my bracelets. Heaven forbid that I should speak slightingly of a gift of Harvey's. But really, it isn't of such priceless value. That has nothing to do with it. Of course not. Oh, these men! Harvey, stepping forward. Tom's right. Let's go. Look here, I'll get you another. Thanks. I wanted that one. Smithers, and you, William, just go look again in the hall. Yes, Mom. And then help the chauffeur. Turn out everything in the car. Yes, Mom. Bring the rugs into the house and shake them. Yes, Mom. She and William go. Judge, going back to the fire. Sumptuary laws. That's what we want. If women didn't wear bracelets, they couldn't lose them. Martin, William is honest, isn't he? Oh, hang it, Alice. Quite, madam. Excellent character. A little flighty, but a most respectable young man. I've seen him reading a sporting paper. A weakness, my dear Alice, common to the best of us. I do it myself sometimes, but I'm willing to be searched. Oh, Tom, do be quiet. Mrs. Western, to the judge. You're very unsympathetic. Turning to Martin again. None of the servants came in after we left? No, madam. You're sure? Quite sure, madam. They were all downstairs having their supper. Most mysterious. Incomprehensible. Judge, looking at his watch. Past nine. We shall plunge into the play, like body-snatchers looking for the corpse of the plot, and we shall never know what it was that the heroine did. Mrs. Western, ignoring him, to Martin. Smithers I'll answer for. Oh, yes, madam, if I might make a suggestion. Well? It couldn't have fallen anywhere into your dress, madam. Nonsense, how could it? She gets up and shakes herself. Absurd. She sits again. Into your cloak? Silk. No, that'll do, Martin. You might help the others outside. Martin goes. Judge, with a step forward. Now, admirable sister. Didn't it strike you that Martin's manner was rather strange? Really, you must not suspect the servants. Mrs. Western, turning to him. Must not. Must. That's scarcely the way to speak to me, Harvey. My dear. And I wasn't suspecting. I was merely asking a question of my brother. Come, Alice, let's go. Mrs. Western, shaking her head. You three go. You'll excuse me. If you insist. Mrs. Bankett, coming forward. No, no. Do come, Alice. I can't. I'm so puzzled. Oh! Harvey, who is behind her to the left, between her and the judge. What? Have you found it? No, no, of course not. But ring, please, will you? Why? I want you to ring. He presses the bell by the fireplace. I just remember Miss Farron came in while we were having coffee. Alice! I asked her to write a card to Harrods. She'll have written it in here. I say, really? No need to snub me again before our guests. I need scarcely say I am not suspecting Miss Farron, but in justice to her. But Alice, she'll have gone out. You told her she might. Only to her sisters close by. 
and she may not have gone yet. Why don't they answer the bell? Ring again, Harvey. The poor things are still searching. Alice, I protest. I do indeed. Don't be so foolishly sentimental. It's ridiculous at your age. The young woman is in my employ as governess to my children. Martin comes in. Has Miss Farron gone out yet? No, madam. I believe she's in her room, dressing. Ask her to come. Yes, madam. He goes. Judge, shaking his head. No sense of proportion. That's the truth. They've no sense of proportion. Tom! A fact, my dear. But you can't help it. You've every quality in the world but just that. You will always look through the wrong end of the telescope. Really, Tom, this isn't the moment for your nonsense. And if you only knew how stupid you are when you try to be funny. Harvey, going nervously to Mrs. Western. I say, I really do think. I don't care what you think. Leave me alone. There is silence. The judge, sitting by the fire, whistles loudly. Waltz me round again, Willie. Harvey has gone moodily across the room and stands by the sideboard. Mrs. Bankett is sitting behind the table. After a moment the door opens and Miss Farron comes in, with hat and cloak on, and goes straight to Mrs. Western. She is an extremely pretty girl of twenty. You want me, Mrs. Western? Oh, Miss Farron, I've lost my bracelet. Really? I'm so sorry. Where? I don't know. You didn't see it, of course, after we'd gone. No, and no one came in. I was writing the letter to Harrods. No one at all? No, I'm sure of that. And I'd hardly got to my room when I heard the car come back. Well, thank you, Miss Farron. It's very annoying. You're sure it's not in the car? My dear Miss Farron, it's not in the car. It's not anywhere, and I'm beginning to believe it never was at all. Come, Alice, let's go. We shan't see much of the play, but we can at least help the British drama by buying two programs. Miss Farron, turning to Mrs. Western again. Do you want me any more, Mrs. Weston? No, thanks. Miss Farron turns to go. Mrs. Western, who has suddenly cast an eager glance at her, as though attracted by something, calls her back. Oh, Miss Farron. Miss Farron, turning. Yes? I wonder if you'd be so good as to shift this aigrette of mine. It's hurting me. Certainly. She comes back to Mrs. Western and stands by her side. As she raises her arm, Mrs. Western jumps up and seizes it by the wrist. My bracelet! Keeping a tight hold of Miss Farron's wrist, she holds it at arm's length. There is a general cry of amazement. The judge and his wife start to their feet. Harvey rushes eagerly towards her. Alice! There it is! She took it! Are you sure? Alice! Mrs. Western, it isn't— Mrs. Western, still holding the girl by the wrist. You dare to pretend. Harvey, who is now at the back of his wife's chair, looking closely at the bracelet. Let me look. Let me look. I say, Alice, you're wrong. It's not yours at all. The setting's different. What do you mean, different? You think I don't know my own bracelet? Are you mad? I say it's mine, and it is. Judge, stepping forward. Alice, be careful. Careful? You're as bad as he. Of course the thing's mine. I've been wearing it for weeks. And you think I can make a mistake? She found it and took it. No, no, Mrs. Weston, really. It isn't yours, I assure you. Alice, I declare to you. Oh, be quiet and go away. This is no business of yours. 
but it is it was i who bought the wretched thing well i am prepared to swear that this isn't the one mrs western a little shaken looking at it again you're prepared to she lifts her head how can you talk such utter nonsense there is not the least doubt not the least judge stopping harvey who is about to protest violently alice mind what you're saying you'll get yourself into trouble if harvey says he's saying it to shield her that's all i'm not it's not true but you mustn't bring such an accusation it's monstrous and i won't allow mrs western drawing herself up you won't allow this girl takes my bracelet and you won't allow miss farren trying to free herself mrs weston i haven't i haven't alice will you listen to me no i won't this doesn't concern you or anyone but me and this girl look at her she knows mrs weston you're hurting my arm come now confess i won't be hard on you if you confess she wrenches off the bracelet and releases the girl who staggers back nursing her wrist harvey almost beside himself stamping his foot alice alice will you hear oh you have hurt me and you've no right to say such things no you haven't you haven't besides a bracelet like that she holds it up to miss farren you won't confess very well then i'll send for a policeman the bracelet is hers turquoise and emeralds hers a coincidence perhaps very likely i'll give her in charge at once the bracelet is hers i tell you mrs western turning furiously on him you dare to say that yes because i myself gave it to her there is a moment's almost stupefied silence harvey and alice are face to face miss farren to the left of her mrs bankett is still at the back the judge by the fire mrs western breaks the silence you gave it her yes you asked me to believe that you gave a bracelet to this person my children's governess i did an exact copy of the one you gave me i've told you it's not an exact copy there's a difference in the setting nonsense nonsense it can't be he's just saying this fanny don't interfere i'm saying what's true i refuse to believe it it's incredible you've not sunk so low as that it's a lie alice yes a lie a trumped-up story the girl has taken it i have not you can tell that to the magistrate she turns to harvey and you too if you like she moves to the bell judge putting out a hand to stop her alice leave me alone tom i know what i'm doing i'll send for a policeman alice alice mrs western pausing with her hand on the bell i'll let the girl off if you'll tell me the truth i have told you the truth you persist in this silly falsehood it isn't i tell you it isn't very well then she presses the bell at that moment the door bursts open and martin comes in triumphantly with the bracelet on a salver smithers and william are behind him but do not pass beyond the threshold ma'am ma'am we found the mrs western has turned towards him still holding the other bracelet in her hand martin catches sight of it and stops dead short staring bewilderedly at it where did you find it she takes the bracelet off the salver and lays it on the table it had fallen into a pocket of the car there was a hole in the pocket and it worked its way right down into the body very well thank you the other servants have already slunk off 
there is a moment's silence. Mrs. Western suddenly flings the bracelet she has in her hand in Miss Farron's direction. Here. I return you your property. And now pack up your things and leave the house. Harvey, who has stepped forward and picked up the bracelet, standing between Mrs. Western and Miss Farron. No. What? I say no. I have told the girl to leave my house. My house, mine, and she shall stay in it. Or at least when she goes it shall be without the slightest stain or suspicion. I am not accusing her of theft. But you are insinuating, I declare, solemnly, before you all— Harvey, one moment. I am sure that Miss Farron would rather go to her room. Yes. By all means, here, take your bracelet. He gives it to her. But you don't leave this house. You understand that? I am master here. Miss Farron goes quietly. Now, just listen to me, both of you. Be calm. All this excitement won't help. Harvey, you too. You and Alice will have your explanation. If the girl doesn't go tonight— I tell you again, she shall not. And there's no need. I was a fool to give her that bracelet. She didn't want to take it. Why did you? I had given Alice one on her birthday. Well? And so I got her one. Why? Because— Well? Because— Oh, because— Well, she admired it. And she liked pretty things, too. I don't think you need to say anything more. No, he needn't. It's clear enough. Look here, on my honor, I am fond of her, of course, in a way. But I'm old enough to be her father, and I swear to you all, I've seen her about, of course, a good deal, and I gave her that thing, but beyond that, nothing, nothing. Mrs. Western, sitting and with a shrug of the shoulder. A ridiculous fairy tale. My dear Alice, take my advice and believe your husband. You too. All alike, when there's a pretty face. Let her find another situation, by all means. But to turn a girl out at a moment's notice, you couldn't. Mrs. Western, turning to the judge. You are really suggesting that I should sleep under the same roof with— You are condemning without the slightest evidence, and condemning, remember, an utterly defenseless creature. This girl has a claim on you. Were your suspicions justified, she would still have a claim. Indeed. The nonsense he talks. It's really too silly. You are extraordinary, you women. You exact such rigid morality from the governess and the housemaid. You're full of excuses when it's one of yourselves. Tom! Well, that's true. We all know it. And here, I believe every word Harvey has said. You do? Because he is a man of honour, and men of honour have their code. Their children's governess is safe. You will do well to believe it, too. Now, Fanny, we'll go. Be sensible, Alice. I tell you again, Harvey's right. The girl must not be summarily dismissed. It would be an act of cruel injustice. Goodbye. He offers to kiss her. She turns away. As you like. Goodbye, Harvey, old man. Goodbye, Tom. They shake hands. And thank you. Mrs. Bankett, kissing Mrs. Western. My poor dear Alice. Goodbye, Fanny. I'm sorry that our party tonight. Oh, that doesn't matter. Poor thing. 
I promise you that Tom will have a good talking to. She is too angry with Harvey to say goodbye to him. She and the judge go. The moment the door closes, Harvey begins feverishly and passionately. Now just listen. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to say things, things that have been in my heart, in my life, for years. I'm not going to spare you. I'm going to tell you the truth, and the truth, and the truth. If it's the same kind of truth you've been giving us tonight. We've been married ten years. Oh, I know we were neither of us very young. But anyhow, the last five have been nothing but misery for me. Misery, do you hear that? You sitting there, calm and collected, not caring one damn for me. That's not true. It is, and you know it. The mother of my children, satisfied with that. Never a word of kindness or sympathy. And as for affection. We're not sweethearts. We're middle-aged people. Well, I need something more. And look here, I'll tell you. This girl has made life worth living, that's all. I'd come home at night, dog-tired all day in the city, sick of it, stock exchange office and the mud and the grime and the worry. There were you, with a nod. Ah, Harvey, good evening. And you'd scarcely look up from your committee report or your blue book or damned pamphlet or other. You are one of the men who want their wife to be a mere sort of doll. I want my wife to care for me. I want her to smile when I come in and be glad. I want her to love me. You don't. By the Lord, I've sneaked upstairs, gone in, and had a peep at the children. Well, they'd be asleep. I tell you, I've been hungry, hungry, for a word, for a look. And there, in the schoolroom, was this girl. I've played it low down, I know. She's fond of me. But I couldn't help it. I was lonely. That's what it was. I've gone up there night after night. You didn't know where I was, and you didn't care. In my study, you thought, the cold, chilly box that you call my study, glad to have me out of the way. Well, there I was, with this girl. It was something to look forward to, in the cab coming home. It was something to catch hold of, when things went wrong, in that dreary grind of money-making. Her eyes lit up when they saw me she'd ask me about things if i coughed she'd fuss me she had pretty ways and was pleased oh pleased beyond words if i brought her home something so this isn't the first time no of course not she admired that bracelet of yours by jove i said to myself i'll get her one like it whatever i brought home to you you'd scarcely say thank you and usually it went into the drawer i'd such shocking bad taste she'd beam well as ill luck would have it you took a fancy to this one i told her she mustn't wear hers conspiring behind my back oh if you knew what has gone on behind your back not when i was with her when i was alone the things i've said about you to myself when i thought of this miserable life that had to be dragged on here thought of your superior smile your damnable cruelty cruelty why what else i'd go up to you timidly ah why talk of it to you i've been the machine that made money money to pay for the house and the car and the dressmaker's bills a machine that had to be fed and when you'd done that you'd done all well there was this girl you had your children 
a boy of seven and a girl of five in bed when i came home and your children much more than mine i'm a stranger to them and anyhow i wanted something more something human alive that only a woman can give and she gave it nothing between us i swear but just that as tom says i've not been such a cur and you ought to know me well enough after all these years but there's the truth she's fond of me she is it's a fact and i needed that fondness it has kept me going and now do you think i'll let her be thrust out into the street as he says these last words he drops into a chair facing her and looks fiercely and doggedly at her stop now and listen to me i've let you rattle on will you hear me for one moment go on all those things you've said about me well what's the use i suppose we're like most married people when they come to our age i've interests of my own that don't appeal to you blue books and committees i do useful work oh yes you may sneer you always have sneered if a woman tries to do something sensible with her life instead of cuddling and kissing you all day she's cold and cruel we've drifted apart well your fault as much as mine more perhaps but it's no good going into that no good making reproaches that's how things are we must make the best of them wait let me finish about this girl granted that what you say is true and i'm inclined to believe it at least thank you for that or at any rate it's better policy to believe it for everyone's sake that's right that's more like you we gain nothing by abusing each other and i didn't interrupt you let's look the facts in the face here we are we two tied <sighs> yes with our two children if it weren't for them well we've got to remain together now there's this girl it's quite evident after what you've said that she can't stop here harvey jumping to his feet she shall oh do be a man and drop this mawkish sentiment you say she's fond of you you've made her fond of you was this a very pretty thing for a man of your age to do harvey sullenly as he drops back into his chair never mind my age very well then for a married man an unhappy man even granting that though if you're unhappy it's your own fault i've always been urging you to go on to the county council what's to become of the girl if she stops here i don't know but i can't let her go i tell you i can't oh if you knew how painful it is to hear you whining like this it's pitiable really in the girl's own interest how can she stop she must i can't let her be turned out it would break her heart mrs western turning right round and staring at him what yes it would she's very fond of me that's the truth i know that i've been to blame but it's too late for that now she's romantic of course what you'd call sentimental i dare say i've played on her feelings she saw i was lonely she has a side that you've never suspected a tender sensitive side she has ideals well do you realize what it would mean with a girl like that no one knows her as i do i'm quite startled sometimes to find how fond she is of me oh have some sympathy it's difficult i know it's terribly difficult but she loves me that's the truth and a young girl's love 
why she might throw herself into the river oh yes you smile but she might what do you know of life with your blue books anyhow i daren't risk it by and by there's no hurry is there and i put it to you be merciful you're not the ordinary woman you have a brain you're not conventional don't act like the others don't drive this girl out of the house it would end in tragedy believe it you can't really expect me to keep a girl here as governess to my children who as you say is in love with you i expect you i'm asking you to help her and me that's too much we won't turn her out to-night i'll give her a reference and all that harvey springing to his feet again alice i can't let her go ask tom ask any one i tell you i can't let her go be sensible harvey you must realize yourself there's no alternative i vow and declare to you if she goes i go too and the consequences will be on your head mrs western has also risen they stand face to face looking at each other and for a moment there is silence the door opens and miss farron comes in dressed as before she walks straight to mrs western mrs western my things are packed and on the cab my poor child you're not to go i told you miss farron with a demure glance at him stopping him as he is moving towards her of course i must i can't stay here that's not possible my sister will take me in for to-night miss farron my husband has explained to me i withdraw all oh that's all right though thank you all the same and it really doesn't matter much i was going to give notice to-morrow anyway what well i put it off as long as i could mr weston because but the fact is i'm going on the stage musical comedy you are going i've accepted an engagement oh i'm only to be a showgirl at first but they believe i'll do well they've been wanting me some time and my fiance has persuaded me harvey collapsing utterly dropping into the chair by the fire your my fiance yes he's one of the comic men there mrs western who has been watching them both with an unmoved face i'll write a check for your salary miss farron she goes to the desk at back i ought to have told you i know mr weston but it was so dull here and you've been most awfully good to me i can never be sufficiently grateful harvey with difficulty his face turned away don't mention it and i hope you'll be happy thank you i mean to try mrs weston returns with a check which she hands to miss farron here miss farron miss farron putting it into her bag thank you so much good-bye if you should ever need a reference don't be afraid to oh thanks no more governessing for me good-bye she trips out without another glance at harvey who sits huddled by the fire mrs weston moves slowly to the door at the threshold she pauses turns and looks at harvey i'll take care that the next governess shall be quite as pretty as this one harvey she opens the door and goes harvey doesn't stir the curtain falls end of the bracelet end of five little plays by alfred sutro